Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams, Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7. And Georgia is 2-0, 63-17 over Murray State. What we all expected. Don't know if we expected the exact way it panned out. We're going to talk about that. We're going to give full recap of the game. We're going to get into a guy who played really well in the game, who we've talked about on the podcast before. And we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to go ahead and jump into this thing. All right, so Georgia starts off uh, quick, scores on the first drive, 7-7, though, at the end of the first quarter. Explodes for 35 points in the second quarter, and it was kind of all, you know, all, all smooth sailing from there. Uh, Rusty? What what were kind of your thoughts on the game overall impressions? You know, I went back and watched it twice today just to just to go back and look. I, I sped through it and watched it uh, a couple times a day to see if anything else stood out. I think to me, look, I know Kirby Smart and those guys can't you can't uh, they can dwell on it much as they want, but it's hard to. Uh, you know, coming that season opener on the road at Nashville, at Vandy, the team was pumped. And you come home and you play Murray State. It's just hard to uh, probably have that juice, the same juice they had there. Fought through the little first uh, quarter bumps there. But two things stood out to me. I'm going to give you a positive. And, of course, we're going to talk about the other guy later. But I'm going to give you a positive. I thought Tyler Clark was damn good. I mean, I went back and watched. He was beating double teams. That looked like Tyler Clark of two years ago for me. And that's a great thing for Georgia. Uh, to, to have that player in the inside who is that disruptive, you know, beating double teams. Listen, it was Murray State, but those are still college football players. And, uh, you know, seeing Tyler Clark um, do what he did yesterday is very good news for Georgia. There's one thing that I, I did notice the second time I watched. Georgia seemed to be missing the first tackle yesterday. Um, you know, and, and I know Tay Crowder is a guy that we talk about a lot, and he, he's impressive to all of us, but after the first two weeks, he's going to have to be a little bit more sure tackler to me. I mean, he's on the spot, and a lot of times the guy gets loose. I mean, yesterday on the on the uh, big Mark Webb hit, Tay played it great on the on the play, and he was there all over the guy, uh, and just couldn't lock him up. And he missed another tackle, missed two tackles. Went back and watched a little bit of the Bandy game of the day, missed a couple of tackles. So I'm being real picky here, but in bigger games, you got to make that tackle against Notre Dame because some of those bigger, better athletes. A missed tackles, 15, 20, 25 more yards. But team speed for Georgia, uh, man, they flash so fast into, into the screen when you watch them on TV. So that's three kind of quick hitters for me from yesterday. Yeah, and, and on the Tay Crowder thing, I mean, like you said, great play. He, he And he kind of got there. Somebody on the board, uh, you know, on, on the junkyard was talking about he over-pursued. Didn't over-pursue. He played it inside out perfect. Just kind of got grabbed in there. Guy tried to duck under the tackle. And what you're going to run into against Notre Dame in situations like that if Georgia's missing tackles is Notre Dame is going to block you up a little bit better and you're not going to have four guys right behind you to get there all the time. And and sometimes you've got to make sure that you're the guy that gets them on the ground. That one actually turned out pretty well for Georgia because if Crowder gets him on the ground, he doesn't fumble. Georgia doesn't get a defensive score. Uh, but but got to finish those plays. I, I saw the same thing, Rusty, from Monty Rice on a couple plays. Eric Stokes had one. I, I think Eric Stokes probably got a little bit of flack in the, in the film room uh, uh, today or, or will tomorrow for getting trucked by the quarterback right before halftime. And uh, but but the, you know those are a couple two or three things that, that I noticed as well. And I and I'll get to my impressions um, after you, Kip. What, what did you see and, and what did you think about the game? Was there anything that kind of jumped out at you? I like Rusty's format. You know, one good thing, one bad thing. I think 
you know, looking on the positive side, a couple numbers kind of stood out to me. I know against Vanderbilt, them going, I think, one for eight on third down. You know, that was, I wouldn't say alarming, but it was definitely something you don't want to see, you know, if, if you're on Georgia's coaching staff. To see them be able to go, you know, eight for ten on third down against Murray State, that's got to be a little encouraging to the, the offensive coaches and, and just the players in general to know that, you know, more of that mental focus on offense. They knew what they wanted to accomplish, and for the most part, they were able to do that. And then the other thing for me, I, I think they had like 10 penalties against Vanderbilt, and that's definitely something you want to cut down on. You know, those the, the, those garbage yards, those yards add up over the course of the game and can really mean the difference in the game. The, the, the hidden yardage, I should say, not garbage, but just like special teams. I mean, penalties, that's a big fast of the game. And they were able to, to, to cut that number in half as well. You know, I think it was four penalties for 30 yards maybe in, in the game. And, and so just getting them just more focused and, and more efficient uh, was a big part of, the, uh, of just – you know, the overall positive I took from that moving forward, knowing that they're going to have some pretty strong opponents over the next couple of weeks. And But really, the the one thing that kind of caught my eye, it's kind of carried over from week one to week two, is the offensive line, you know, they've been heralded as, as one of the best in the country. We there's They continue to get it done in, in the ground game. And, and, you know, Jake Fromm is still performing at a high level, uh, throwing the ball as well but the pass protection I, I you know there's a couple a couple snaps out there where they're they're still getting they're getting beat on these twists you know they get the 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 defensive line is kind of uh you know giving them a little bit of issues early on in the game i think it's still something that you know when they go into the film room and, and they're looking at that and they're you know between solomon kinley or you know uh trey hill young you know young center but but at the same time uh the the competition they've had in camp and this offensive line that they've been able to put together is supposed to be able to play at a very high level and i think that kirby smart expects them to be able to do a little bit better than they've done in pass pro so far these first two weeks because they're going to have again much stronger defensive line uh, especially when you get toward that November schedule, uh, you know, a team like Auburn, seeing what they've been able to do on their defensive line, you want to have, you know, have that cleaned up and, and have that figured out because they're definitely going to b- bring it in that game. And, you know, obviously several other teams have strong defensive line. Florida has a strong defensive line as well. So it's just something that, that kind of stood out to me in this game. But again, overall, pretty positive outcome and the, and the main thing is you want to come out of this with with no further injuries and it seems like they're still in, in pretty good shape in that regard yeah for sure that that was that's probably the number one big takeaway from this game is coming out of it with without any injuries you know i, I look at when i look at the game i i'm going to start with the negative and that's the fact that when you play a murray state or even an arkansas state or or a team like that listen when, when you go play t- anybody else in the SEC um, or, or another Power 5 school, you know you're going to give up 20-plus yard plays, one or two at least. Um, I think you come into a game like this one and you feel like it's one where you can really limit those, where you can legitimately put your number as far as explosive plays at zero and, and have a chance to meet it. And Georgia gave up a couple of big ones. I mean, they gave up one of, of 60 yards to uh, on the pass to Daquan Green, a former Florida guy. Uh, and and then had another that 35 yard run before halftime by the quarterback and 
you know, the, the big plays, I think, and I think some of it had to do with Georgia being a little bit more aggressive. Uh, you know, they, they were bust. I mean, the one where the 60-yard touchdown pass, I mean, Richard LeCount flew up to, to play the run right away, left Mark Webb out to drive because Webb, if he didn't break up that pass, it's a touchdown because there was nothing back deep. And, and that was just kind of a, a double whammy there. And then the quarterback scramble, I mean, those are going to happen, but but you got to get that guy on the ground uh, a lot sooner than that. And so I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in, in putting myself in, in, in Rusty's mode here with this is, is the fact that if I'm nitpicking the two big plays uh, against an FCS opponent, you really don't feel great about that. But one thing I did really like is if you take that, if you take that 35-yard run out by the quarterback, uh, Georgia gave up negative yards rushing. And, and, you know, that's with the sacks as well. I think the sack-adjusted rushing yardage in this game was somewhere around 76 yards, if I'm not mistaken, below four yards a carry. Uh, the net rushing yards in this game were 23. And Georgia really went out and succeeded in their ability to completely stop the run. Um, last year, I felt like when, when, you know, when Sanford wanted to stick it up in there and run it, Sanford did. When Middle Tennessee State wanted to stick it up in there and run it, they did a little bit. But I felt like this defense was a little bit more up to the challenge. I know that's not what Murray State does well, but but I really did feel like that was a um, uh, a, a really good you know a really good showing there by the defense. And Georgia didn't play Sanford last year; they played Austin P. But uh, I, I did the same thing JRE did a couple weeks ago whenever he said that that Sanford was coming up after Vanderbilt, uh, and and both of us are, are two years off there. But but ultimately, I felt like that they did a really good job stopping the run. They showed up there and and didn't. Uh, after sudden change is another one that I have to go with there with with Eli Wolf when he fumbled. Uh, Georgia came out, got the stop, got right back into it, scored a touchdown on the ensuing drive, and and started you know the process of putting the game away. So those are the, those are the things that kind of stood out to me. One thing I think I, I want to bring up here, and and it's kind of unplanned, was. Okay, so Jamari Sawyer gets the right gets the start at right tackle. Cade Mays gets the start at right guard. Different than what we thought it was going to be, but then after the first couple of series, you saw a ton of Cade Mays at right tackle and a ton of Ben Cleveland at right guard. And I know the first drive went really well for Georgia. I know that there was not any specific breakdown on Jamari Sawyer's part at right tackle or Cade Mays at right guard. But when I went back and looked at the game, Rusty, I felt like that that Georgia's best combination most fluid combination was was Ben Cleveland at right guard and and Cade Mays at right tackle. What did you notice anything about that? Did, did you do you yeah. have an impression on that? Um, you know, you, you don't get enough sample size, I guess, with Jamari there. But you know, we talk to a lot of the same people, and every time we bring that up about Jamari on the board or you know, different people, everybody's like, "There's no way that guy's playing right tackle." Well, Georgia believes in him that that much, but I do think right now, from experience wise. Uh, a little bit more length um, with Cade Mays at tackle, and obviously when you put Ben in at guard, you're just you're just a different package because of the size. Look, Jamari Sawyer is a big dude. He is powerful, and he's going to be a very very good football player. I think right now the experience would give Cade Mays a little bit better. I think a better option at right tackle to slide Ben in because those guys have played a lot of football. I just think that um, it wasn't enough sample size for me to say one way or the other. Didn't see anything that really was like you know you never know maybe maybe they missed a call or something or you know it just it was kind of strange because he was in for two series and then and then Ben came in and kind of they, they kind of went with that with that uh, lineup so 
Um, it was interesting he started. Did that surprise you, Jake? He started at right tackles. I was just assuming Cade Mays was going to be a right tackle. Yeah, it really surprised me. And and it it surprised me whenever I just saw him working at right tackle in, in pregame warm-up. And, and I, maybe I would have thought he had a better chance to start at that spot had he been healthy for the last few weeks. But, you know, the injury combined with Mays being the first guy up there at Vanderbilt, and, and, and that was part of the, you know, part of the whole injury picture there too. But that did, that did kind of catch me off guard a little bit. It's not something that I expected. But, but I do think, man, and, and I'll probably go over this during Notre Dame week, but I'm going to go over it now too. I mean, listen, guys, Notre Dame is good on the edge. I mean, you can, you can talk about – Yes, you know what they're la- what they're lacking in the middle and what they're lacking at running back and 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 some of the things that they're just not the same team as last year in some areas. But their defensive ends, Dalen Hayes, uh, Julian Okwara, uh, and and another kid that I, I his name always escapes me. But they've got some guys that can get after the quarterback, and and you're going to want to be really good at both tackles because they don't have to line one of them up on the on one side or not. They can. They can come at you from both edges, and and I just feel like that's something that this staff is probably going to have to really heavily evaluate the next couple weeks, and and really get that in order, uh, but before they take on the Fighting Irish in in Athens, and and probably what's going to be one of the most electric atmospheres we've seen in a while, definitely one of the latest kickoffs. Jake, let me ask you a question, um, and and I'm I'm going thinking about that night. Um, we all saw the light up at Vanderbilt, and the Georgia lights it up in the fourth quarter. Am I seeing this right that Georgia's going to have red lights in the stadium? Is that new? Yeah, that's new. They they do have some LED lighting and and they're going to kind of tint it um, in the fourth quarter, from what I understand. I, I'm interested to see what it looks like. I mean, it could be one of those things. And and you know how technology is. You could, it could be one of those things where it may be tough to recognize it from television. So if you're not there, you may not notice it. Sure. But but you know, I think that I think it's something. To the effect of what they've done at Braves games in the past, where they do the chop with the phone, and sure. and then uh, they're going to dim the lights a little bit, and and the LED gives them the capability to dim them and rise them back up real fast, as opposed to uh, you know I don't know if you guys ever had to turn the lights on at the baseball field or whatever growing up, but flip yep. them on about an hour and a half before the sure. game, and then they, they might be they might be bright enough to play under by the time you got there. That's gonna be that's gonna be a uh, that's gonna be something to see now. I I was not aware that was going on until like two days ago and they were like it's going to be the first red one ever and i'm like what we mean red one so that'll be interesting to see that one hey if you if you guys want a little bit of insight on on kind of what goes on with our job uh i, I show up at the i show up at the at sanford stadium on saturday about three and a half three hours and 45 minutes before kickoff and you become pretty good friends with some of the photographers and everything that shoot for USA Today and stuff like that. And I had a buddy walk up and he goes, man, what are we going to do for the Notre Dame game? I've never shot an LED lighting before. And I'm, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking like, man, I'm just trying to get out of that press box before breakfast. You know, like, I, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to get to brunch the next day. I'm, I don't know. Uh, LED lighting. Like, I don't know, man, you're, you're the expert. I don't know anything about cameras. I just put the thing on the running man and shoot. That's what but, I'll be doing. That's what I'll be doing on the sidelines that night. But uh, that that's going to be very cool. That's going to be very, very cool. And uh, if it wasn't security reason, I guarantee you we would hire a drone and, and put one over that stadium. That would be a hell of a view from overhead. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, moving on here real quick. Let's talk about, let's look at uh, maybe something we learned from Georgia on Saturday. Uh, I know that, that they played an FCS opponent, and sometimes it can be kind of tough to, to glean anything from that game. But, uh, Kip, was there anything that you picked up from watching the game that you, that you kind of felt like, uh, you know, I didn't, really didn't know this about Georgia before or anything like that? Well, I don't know if it's specifically about Georgia, but I didn't know that, you know, Eli Wolf had it in him. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I thought he was, again, a graduate transfer from Tennessee, a lot of SEC experience. From what we knew about him coming in, you know, he was pretty strong, uh, you know, as as a blocker. And, again, just a, a guy that it, it, they needed for depth of the position with, with Luke Ford gone and then obviously Isaac Nana leaving early for the NFL. But seeing that game against Murray State, I, I think he's he's already doubled his career receiving yards in, in these two, two games, I believe. I think he's got five catches for 84 yards on the season. I think he had about 78 coming into the season. So for me, that that's something I learned. Obviously, this first year under James Coley in this offense, we were interested to see what he was going to do. And the tight end position is one that we had, you know, we were really watching to see how they're going to implement that position. You know, if they were going to use it more, and it, I think it's pretty clear that you know Jake Fromm has a, has a guy that he has a lot of trust in. You know, real early uh, with with Eli Wolf, he went to him often, and again. Like I said, the production speaks for itself. I mean, he's he is Georgia's leading receiver now as we head into week three. So that's something that, that I kind of took from this game just two weeks into the season that, you know, Eli, Eli Wolf has a chance to to be a major part of this offense and, and a guy that, that Jake Fromm might be depending on a lot on third down. Charlie Warner, again, it's a guy that they ask him to do a lot, you know, that, that doesn't really show up in, in the stat sheet. In Georgia's offense, you know, he has a lot on his shoulders, a lot of responsibility in this in this offense. And as far as just pure targets, he might not have what Eli's had so far. But I think it's pretty clear that both those guys are, are a key part of this, the, the key cogs in this offense. And, and again, that's just something that we were w- waiting to see. You, you don't know summer and fall camp really what what the identity of this team is going to be and, and what roles guys are going to play. And I think early on. Eli's carved himself a pretty significant role in Georgia's offense. You know, I don't want to get too technical with this. It looked to me like he had an option route that he was running from the slot that was kind of a square in or a post, and and he was adjusting it based on on what Murray State was giving him uh, in terms of zone coverage. I'm interested to see, though, if, if Georgia's going to try to take advantage of potential mismatches like that more so in man coverage. Uh, because the, Jake Fromm said it after the game, said that, that that was their way of kind of beating the zone. You've got beaters built into every every uh, route tree, every route combination, and and I, I just wonder if that's going to be there. And I, you know, we've had a lot of discussion over at Dogs Two Four Seven today about why not Charlie Warner? Why is Eli, is Eli Wolf jumped over Charlie Warner? Not at all. I mean, it's just one of those things where 
listen, I, I firmly believe Kirby Smart when he says the coverage dictates where they go with the football. That's where Jake Fromm is a really good player is because he he can read the coverage and go there with the football. He doesn't he doesn't touch the football with the, with the idea that, hey, George Pickens is getting this ball or Eli Wolf is getting this ball. He's gonna he's gonna survey it. He's gonna look at the coverage. He's gonna decide where to go with it. And and I think that's that's why Wolf ended up with those balls. And it could be Charlie Warner next week. Could be John Fitzpatrick in a couple weeks. It it could be somebody else. Could be DeAndre Swift catching eight balls. We just don't know. And it's gonna depend on how teams are are electing to cover Georgia. Rusty, was there anything that that you saw that maybe you learned about this team on Saturday? I mean, I love that that I guess pick there by Kip because I'm I, you know I wrote a couple of months. Uh, about a month ago that Eli Wolf is a guy that I heard some buzz about and he was more athletic than even Georgia thought when they got down here. Um, what a great decision by Kirby Smart. Look, Eli Wolf is taking a spot out of this recruiting class. Okay, let's, let's, let's be clear. He was that taking him takes a spot out of the 2020 class. But look at what he's doing, the potential there, uh, what you saw yesterday and what he could be for this year. So absolutely it was worth it with the issues they had uh, losing Isaac Nauta, Isaac Nauta early and then Luke Ford transferring. So I love that by Kip. That's a very good point. Um, I, I, I just think, and Jake, this is kind of, you know, you've talked about this guy. This guy, there's a lot of different opinions on him. But watching Monty Rice play now, it's, it, he's, not, he's not thinking anymore. He, he has turned loose. Now, yes, he did miss a tackle or two, but, man, he is a hammer. When he hits you, uh, he is physical. He is. He's making plays. Uh, he's beating the guards on pulls. He's getting inside the tackles. You know, getting upfield stuff like that. When he sees a play now, he's there. That tells me he is no longer hesitant. He is in firm command of what Glenn Schumann wants him to do. And and listen, that inside linebacker room is stacked. But I'm telling you right now, I I, I could not be more impressed with Monty Rice so far. And where he is, and I think he he is going to be a very very good player for Georgia this year. His his time has come. Yeah, I, I thought he played really well on Saturday, and and the tackles he missed were ones where he was kind of getting to the ball carrier, maybe in a pursuit mode where where he was kind of there to support and and was you know maybe got there a little quicker than than most guys should have. But he's he's playing very fast right now and. As soon as as Nicobe Dean gets enough experience and and Quay Walker gets enough experience to play fast like that, uh, Georgia's just going to rotate them in and and keep them coming and keep them fresh uh, as as teams are keeping running backs fresh and that helps them cover them out of the backfield helps them in pursuit. I tell you one thing I learned and and it was this: Kirby Smart's not quite as stubborn as I thought he was, and 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 I and I, I say that because. So Georgia completely changed what they've done, and I noticed it. I went back and watched it this morning. Um, just watched the defense, uh, you know, one time through, especially in the first half when when most of the starters were in there and they were running their stuff a, a lot. Uh, but but they they played a lot more aggressive against uh, Murray State than they did against Samford, against Austin P, against uh, Middle Tennessee State, some of these uh, non-power five programs, even SCS programs that that run the spread um and and that's that resulted in in probably a couple bigger plays than they wanted to give up but it also resulted in i believe six sacks and 11 tackles for a loss and let, let's face it an fcs team is not going to overcome that and that they're just not going to do it and and you know, had it not been for one big play and one t- 
touchdown defensively, uh, you know, Georgia would have pitched another touchdownless game, basically. So it's it's one of those things where I, I, I kind of applaud Kirby and, and Dan Lanning and Glenn Schumann for for deciding to be a little bit more aggressive there because those three guys, I know all the coaches are involved in the game plan, but you got to think based on how things were done at Alabama that, that those three are probably in the room when the thing gets finalized. And, and I thought that that was, was key because – and I also think that the, the corners Georgia has now allows that because, you know, Tyreek Stevenson and DJ Daniel and Eric Stokes and, and, and Tyson Campbell are big guys. They can manhandle some of these receivers at the line of scrimmage. They can throw things off and allow the rush to get there. And, and I thought it was very interesting how and, – and Kirby came out and said it after the game. They changed, their, they changed how they played these, uh, these spread teams and – Listen, I know Kirby's not into this. No, co- no football coach ever will be. But ultimately, it made it a more entertaining brand of football. I mean, rather than giving up three here, five there, and stopping them on third down, they were putting them behind the chains and giving some fans something to cheer about and forcing intentional grounding penalties and had guys sharing sacks that shouldn't have been sharing sacks because one guy was making them, but the official scorer had them there. I'm sure Georgia's numbers are different when they watch the film than, than what comes out in the official stat sheet based on what I saw, but I, I just I, I thought that ultimately it, it, it resulted in a, in a more entertaining brand of football, and, and it was also, I think, a good move and, and allowed Georgia to kind of taste a little blood there and, and, and feel it a little bit in terms of their, their ability to get after the quarterback and realize how big that can be for them and, and build some confidence in that area. Uh, all right, guys, there's no way we're going to get out of this show, and we've got one more topic after this, but there's no way we're going to get out of the show without talking about George Pickens. Um, it's Murray State now, so you would expect George Pickens to be a better athlete than anybody Murray State puts on defense. But I thought, and and I want y'all's take on this too. I thought George Pickens made some stuff look easy that was not easy at all. I'm not talking about the ability to beat coverage. I'm talking about you know getting thrown open on a on a curl and just plucking the ball out of the air like he's done it a billion times kept making a diving catch and just I've never seen anybody make a diving catch quite like that usually they cradle it he just snatched it tugged it rolled over on it 43 yards and then on the on the touchdown um I didn't know if he was going to be able to stay in bounds and I think he got both feet and it may have got a third so what do you guys think uh and Kip I'll kick it off with you here what were your thoughts on on George Pickens and 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 kind of how he played on Saturday and, and how easy he made it look uh, I think this is who we thought it was going to be. It's tough because these guys come in, especially the the really highly rated prospects, and the expectations for these players is sky high. But you know, the, these are the types of players that Kirby Smart's winning these recruiting battles to to have on the roster. I mean, these are the, and these are the types of talents you want lining up, or rather than having the opponent have this guy. You know, think about you know Auburn in that game, the game they just had against Tulane. They could really use a guy like George Pickens on that roster right now with Seth Williams. When he went down to in, to injury, they didn't have that kind of big play guy. So you know, it's it, it's it has that kind of ripple effect when Georgia beats out Auburn and flips a guy like George Pickens. They're able to reap the benefits, and then that's what we're seeing. I think you know Kirby Smart mentioned you know, the the thing that impressed him was 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 that downfield block 
that he threw in that the Dondre Swift run, and 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 that's that's the really encouraging thing, you know, because those are the types of plays that you want these receivers to buy in on. So whenever you know that safety creeps down to try to stop that run, and and, and they run a play action, or you know they they try to stretch the ball down the field. Uh, Pickens can can kind of uh, be rewarded for his hard work and, and and be able to make the types of plays that he made in that game. So you know, for me, yeah, it's definitely you, you got to think that's encouraging if you're a Georgia fan. But it, it it just kind of solidifies what we saw in him coming out of high school. I know that you know he's a hardworking player, very physical, takes a lot of pride in what he does, and and, and he's very passionate about uh, you know mastering his craft and. I think you kind of saw a little bit of that on the uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that he, that he drew as well. But that that's just kind of what what comes with, with with what you're getting in George Pickens. And you know, so far in, in, in two games, it probably won't be talking about a lot at the end of the season. You know, he he's looked like that that guy and, and the guy that George has kind of lacked in the last couple of years as a potential that number one true alpha receiver. He, he he's definitely kind of shown the part early on. And we got to see what you know what he's able to do when, when the lights are on in meaningful football games where where Georgia's needing a big play to actually win the game. You know if he's ready for that stage yet. That's kind of the big question mark now. But you know uh, as far as uh, doing the little things, he's showing progress in that area in between the big plays, and that's definitely encouraging. It was uh, it took about as long as a Matthew Bowling 100 meter dash. <laughs> for that, for 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 Kip to send me a message right after that that DeAndre Swift run, that George Pickens had earned some more carry, uh, had earned some some touches with that block, and then bam! I mean, there were there were what was it two? Well, he he caught the curl first, and there was two on one drive, caught another later in the game, led George in receiving for the game. So uh, yeah, that that block definitely played into it real real big and and you know rusty i know that you've been high on him and and we all saw the catch the the, the catch in uh, in the first spring i mean preseason scrimmage but what what are your thoughts on it and can we really take anything away from it happening against murray state i mean is this a sign of things to come or is it is it just george pickens doing what he's supposed to do against an fcs team I and mean, this guy's an elite wide receiver i mean we saw it in high school you know that's the fun part of our job and jake you know you were in recruiting at one time but me and kip see these guys at these camps and we kind of get that first glimpse and then we see him at the, you know the nike camp i watched him play multiple seven on sevens because he was playing with Jaden hazelwood at the time who was committed to georgia he was committed to auburn at the time um and this guy this is what he does i mean th this is why there was such a big deal this is why he was so heavily recruited um you know he was he's a five-star for a reason this is not that was not a flash in the pan type deal. This guy is going to do this. He's going to make big plays. The block he made on the touchdown yesterday, uh, that's a product of Georgia uh, and, and, and Coach Hankton and those guys saying, you know, if you're going to be on the field, you're going to block. You know, and I say this all the time if you're going to play in the NFL, you're going to block at wide receiver. So, uh, you know, I think Georgia fans just got their first glimpse of what we, what all three of us have known for a while. This guy is an elite player. Uh, Jake, I agree with your comment there. He made those things look easy. Those were a hell of a catch. I mean, those, that's ball skills. That's, that's large hands. Um, you know, I think people take it for granted. That crossing route on a touchdown, he's in full extension with both arms 
and has the athletic ability to get both feet down. That's not easy to do. That's something they're trained to do, but that's not easy to do. A uh, big man like that, uh, just just huge, and then and then showing the 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 ability to lay out for a pass uh, that Jake Fromm put over his shoulder. Uh, I mean, this is just things that come. This is signs of things that come. You see those flashes as freshmen, you know, but this guy is elite. He is going to be a very, very good player for Georgia, and it's not going to be down the line. He's going to be a very, very good player for Georgia sooner than later, and he's going to be a big piece of the puzzle this year. Uh, you know, Jake Fromm's really a guy that likes to – I wouldn't say he does favorites, but we all know uh, what he did with Javon Williams two years ago. He'll find a guy that he gets comfortable with, and Eli Wolf is a guy that I think he's starting to build something with as well. But he's already had some targets to pick, and it's only going to be more. I mean, Jake Fromm is that type of quarterback. He gets comfortable with you. He knows you can make a play. He's going to give you the ball. Yeah, and I found it interesting when we were talking with Fromm after the game. Uh, you know, he he was talking about kind of running the offense. Somebody asked him kind of a general general question about running the offense, and and uh, you know he's kind of going through a, you know a typical play, nothing specific, but he's like one of the first things he brings up is making sure George knows what to do, and and he, that's that's kind of the way he said it. Now it kind of caught me off guard, and I'm like, all right, well you know are you are you really thinking pre-play like, hey, I need to make sure George knows what to do because we're probably going to need him to make a play. That's kind of what I read into that. And so I, I really think that that you're right on that. And, and, I, and I think this is a sign of things to come, too. I was most impressed, by the way, on that on that 43-yard catch. He just blew by that defensive back. Now, he's supposed to do that against guys like, you know, teams like Murray State. They're going to be better cornerbacks on Georgia's schedule. But but showing the speed and the burst, uh, sometimes, man, it's not about what top what it says at top end. It's it's how quickly you can get there or, or whether you can kind of – Turn it on in an instant and, and and make up that much ground that quickly and and Pickens has that he he can get up speed really quickly for a six foot three guy reminds me of Fred Gibson a little bit in that regard Fred wasn't a burner either but he could kind of do the same things and 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 Fred was also an athlete that could make things look easy I think Pickens has a little bit more physicality to him and and I think ultimately he's got a higher ceiling but it kind of reminds you of some of the things that that he did in a Georgia uniform there with Gibson and, and, you know, the frames are similar, but I think Pickens has, has got the ability to get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, but I expect, I expect another bigger, big player too from him against Arkansas state. I expect him to make some big catches against Notre Dame and, and going forward, it's going to be a little surprising to me if he's not Georgia's, you know, number one receiver by the end of the year, maybe not in stats, but, but the guy that they're going to in, in big situations and seeing a lot of snaps just because when your coach tells you, says after the game and wants to tell everybody that, that you're developing into a complete player, you're doing a lot right. And because coaches don't want to say that, they, they want to critique you, they want to pick you apart. And, and when Kirby kind of comes out and says, Georgia's, Georgia's turning the corner, basically, that, that he's becoming a complete player, that, those are the type of things you want to see. One thing I did notice after he scored a touchdown and he came to the sideline, watch how many upperclassmen came over to him and congratulated him. That tells me two things. They respect him, and number two, they know they're going to need him. When you watch Ben Cleveland walk up to him and put his arm around him and say a few words, uh, you watch DeAndre Swift come over to him and say a few words, they know they need that guy, and that tells me he's working in practice and he has their respect. So little things like that I try to pick up on, and I definitely saw that yesterday after he scored, came back to the sideline, a lot of upperclassmen came up to him. 
And it's also usually a sign, Rusty, that the kid's probably been ridden pretty hard at some one point or the other by a coach, by a fellow receiver or something, that he's caught an earful and everybody's heard about it. And uh, they're they're glad to see him break through and make a play like that and, and kind of say, hey, this is what happens when when you listen, when you completely buy in. And and uh, that's something that uh, a moment that all freshmen need. Uh, before but before we close this thing out, and, and we got to talk about it, what what in the hell is going on in in Knoxville? I I, I tell you what, man. Like, listen, you're not gonna find a more and and I, I'm just gonna be honest about this. You're not gonna find a more friendly podcast, especially for a Georgia rival, to what's going on there. Because listen. I got to know Jerry B. Pruitt a little bit when he was at Georgia. I got to know Kevin Sher a little bit when he was at Georgia and, and, and Tracy Rocker. And, and uh, you know, I've known some of those guys for a little while. And, and I tell you what, man, I'm as surprised as anybody because I said on this very show that I thought Tennessee was going to be better. I, I thought Tennessee was going to improve. I thought year two was going to be an improvement for them. And I just – I tell you what, man, two non-conference losses to start the season. It wouldn't have shocked me if either one of these games were close, but to lose them both, to let one of them just kind of re- just absolutely slip away from you like like um, uh, BYU on, on Saturday night, I, I just – I don't get it. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. Jake, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not by any means saying I'm predicting a win, but they play Chattanooga this week, and Chattanooga's a better team than Georgia State. I'm I'm just telling you they are, and and they have got to. They can't look ahead to Florida. They can't do anything right now, but other than this game. And I tell you, I'm 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 shocked. I, I really am shocked. You can say what you want. You don't have to like Tennessee. You don't have to like Jeremy Pruitt. But deep down, if you're a true football fan, they got a pretty damn good coaching staff. And for whatever reason, it's not working right now. And you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Just they just don't know how to win, and that, and that's not an easy thing to fix. I mean, it's almost like they sit around and go, okay, what's what's bad about to happen? Instead, of, I need to make this play. They're thinking, what what bad's about to happen? And that's a bad deal for. That's what I got last night watching them, uh, and I actually watched a little bit of that replay today. Like they're sitting around waiting. That busted coverage on that long ball, and I have no idea what that guy was thinking. And then he had a missed tackle. Nigel Warrior Warrior misses the tackle right there. I mean, those are two huge no-nos. You cannot happen at that point in the game. So I don't know what's going on, man, but I'm telling you that it is not an easy fix. And I'm telling you right now, Chattanooga is not a damn bad team at all. Kip, I was getting ready to drive through a, a Georgia State Patrol checkpoint on the way home from the game last night, and 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 I passed. I didn't have to go to jail. Everybody, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't partaking in the spirits in the press box. So no worries. But Kip was the one that broke the news to me that Tennessee lost, and I was just I almost drove off the road. It blew, it blew me away. I couldn't believe because I I'd, I'd seen what was going on earlier in the game, and and it it just really shocked me. You know, you you had a chance to watch some of that game. I mean, what's what's your take, man? Two things kind of stood out to me from that game. And, again, I told you guys last week, and just like Rusty's saying, you know, that Chattanooga's better than Georgia State. You know, I, I said BYU, you know, the, they're, they're, they look, they're a little better than Georgia State, too. I think Tennessee played them a little better. They kind of realized, you know, they got some humble pie in week one, and they needed to, to work on some things. But I knew this BYU game was going to be trouble, and really – the one thing that kind of stood out for me, I don't want to say on the coaching side, but just the way the game went, you know, 
Tennessee had a four fourth downs that they had to make decisions on. And the first one was right there on the five-yard line. It was like fourth and three. You know, instead of kicking a field goal, Pruitt rolled the dice. And, you know, they got lucky on that one. Uh, Jared Garantano, he had a pass that, that he, he was throwing to Dominic Wood Anderson. They're, they're tied in the back of the end zone. He didn't even see the BYU linebacker. And the guy batted the pass, and it ended up landing in Jawan Jennings' uh, hands for a touchdown. They got lucky on that one. And the next time they had a, a fourth and one on BYU's 19-yard line in the second quarter, and they lined up big. They went jumbo. They handed it to uh, Eric Gray, which I, I think he's maybe 5'10", 190, and, and he got stuffed for no gain. And, and and that really, I mean, that showed me something. They lined up man-on-man man against BYU and could not get it done. And then they had another fourth and one. I think it was, uh, again, in the second quarter. They were on BYU's 22-yard line. This time, Pro went for the field goal. So the, they gave them, uh, I think, it was 13-3, it, to three, halftime lead. And fourth, uh, fourth down. So, so now... Uh, you know, you, you had a chance to, uh, I think it was fourth and one at BYU's 30-yard line. And, you know, if, if they kick a field goal here, it would have forced BYU to score a touchdown to win a game. So, you know, and, and a touchdown would have probably cemented it. So uh, Pruitt, Pruitt went for it, and, you know, they they, they, did, they didn't get it. I think it was a, an end-around. And the, the left tackle and, and left guard, both got beat at the line of scrimmage. So you had two defenders that just blew up the play, and uh, the, the the linebacker stopped them short of the first down marker. And, and so those are the, the big plays that stood out to me. You know, those fourth down decisions uh, that, that really kind of swung the momentum of the game. And then I talked earlier about the, the, the one touchdown that Jarrett threw in the game was a mistake. And so it, it kind of stood out to me that, during the course of the game, he had a lot of checkdowns, a lot of decision-making problems, and, and really just was not in a rhythm. And, and he's a junior. You know, they've had time to kind of see who he is, and, and it's it, it's kind of it's got to be really concerning for them that you know he hasn't progressed more. So I think with Chattanooga coming up, you got to start thinking about those other quarterbacks you have on the roster, and maybe. Whether what you have in JT Shroud or what do you have in Brian Marr, I think they're freshmen, a redshirt freshman. You might need to start taking a look at what those guys bring to the table right now because, you know, as it stands, they're just not getting it done uh, offensively at all. And it's just not cohesive right now. And, you know, this, the offensive line play hasn't been very impressive and the decision making at quarterback hasn't been impressive either. Yeah, I I tell you what, man, it's it's baffling to me. It really is, and it's not a talent issue. I'm not saying ten, Tennessee's got the talent to win the SEC East or anything like that. They got the talent to beat Georgia State and BYU. Um, there's some good players on their roster. There's some good experienced players on their roster. I mean, hell, if nothing else, Tennessee's got a uh, two or three players that you can kind of you should be able to rely upon to take over a game like that and win it for you. Um, and, and, and kind of come out on top, and, and I just don't I don't know what's going on there. I, I really don't. Rusty, I know you got one thing uh, to throw at us before uh, before we end this thing. Um, 
and listen, let's just go a minute apiece on this, but this is something that I, I don't think is good for the game and that we don't ever talk about other things outside of college football, but just just to me, a kind of concerning with Antonio Brown, how that went down, and now he's with the Patriots. Kind of want to – Jake, give me a minute. Yep, give me a minute. What's your thoughts on how all that went down? And I think it's just typical BS, man, that how he played the Raiders, and now he's on – you know, you give the Patriots this weapon. Uh, I kind of want your thoughts on it. You know, I, I, it's it's positive reinforcement all around for him, and that's what's discouraging for me. It's discouraging for me. It's like, you know, he he completely blew his way right out of Pittsburgh, sure. uh, a well-run organization, and by all accounts, and and gets rewarded with thirty million guaranteed in Oakland, and then blows his way right out of Oakland, and now he gets to go play for New England. Now, I know Bill Belichick doesn't really care about the health of the game or the health of the NFL or whatever he wants to win, and that's part of what makes him what he is. But it's it's pretty discouraging as a football fan, and I, I'm a big A.B. fan. I always have been. He's a hard worker. He's fun to watch, but you, I agree with you. It's definitely not good for the game. Kip? Real risky move. I mean, I know he rolled in, rolled in there with the Raiders, and and uh, you know he had been catching passes from Ben Roethlisberger his entire career, and you know he had a summer with Derek Carr, and I guess he thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get my numbers, and so he was willing to take, you know, take that guaranteed money he had and, and just flush it down, and and now uh, he's rolling the dice, and obviously now getting to play with the greatest quarterback of all time and Tom Brady. Uh, on paper, sounds great, but we're we're still talking about what, I mean, millions and millions of dollars that, that he just he won't get get that back. I mean, he was going to make that this year, and, and now he won't. And he he's rolling the dice on this uh, this one year deal. You know, I think it's what up to fifteen million dollars. So, you know, he he's lost double digit million dollars on this deal. It's a huge gamble on himself, and. and I'm not sure. I mean, we've seen it not work out with the Patriots. Everyone points to, you know, Randy Moss and, and, and how they were able to to really get the best out of him. But, you know, there are a lot of receivers to go in New England, and they just can't buy into Bill Belichick's program. You know, and if you don't buy in, you're out. And, and I've seen that happen multiple times before. You know, they're, they're the one organization that can roll the dice in these guys just because they're going to be fine either way. Uh, but I think it's it, it's very risky in his part. But it, and overall, it's definitely just not a good look, uh, you know, for the game of football. And I think you know I'm all about it being a players' league, and you know I, I love that about the NBA. It's 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 entertaining the fact that these guys can can make a lot of moves and make you know make organizations get them to where they want to be. But I still don't like the precedent that Antonio Brown did. He basically just, you know, played the Raiders into his hands and made them do what he wanted to do right before the season. It's just an overall bad look. But, uh, you know, as a Falcons fan, uh, you know, I I can't say that I'm a huge fan of of how it ended up, but it seems like I have much bigger problems on my hands after watching that first game for Atlanta. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll touch it. And the, my only concern is these young high school athletes to see how Antonio Brown's acting, how they probably perceived he got his way. They don't get into the financials like Kip just talked about. We understand that as men, but there's a lot of kids that's going to see how he's behaved, how he behaved, and think, you know what? If I'm somewhere I don't want to be, then I can just I can quit on them and somebody else will pick me up. So I just think about long term and and all that kind of stuff. So I, I just really think it was a bad deal the whole way around for this for Antonio Brown and, and the and the good of the game. 
hit the nail on the head there. That, that, I mean, ultimately, big picture, that's got to be one of the biggest concerns right there is how this trickles down to the to the guys who look up to them. That's all the time we've got for today, folks. This is this has been a good one. This has been a fun one. We're gonna have we're gonna have to cover uh, media day tomorrow at, at Georgia, Georgia, Arkansas State. Uh, we're we're a little under two weeks away from Georgia Notre Dame, 8 p.m. kickoff. It's gonna be electric. Uh, we're we're really excited about it, and and uh, you know it seems like Georgia's got it going, and and this is gonna be a pretty fun season. So we'll uh, we'll have it all covered for you. But for this episode, I'm Jake Rowe, Dogs 24/7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7, and this has been the Junkyard Dogcast. Take care.